Canucks Central Tuesday. Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw with you and back from the summer months. We had the emergency podcast on Friday when the Canucks and J.T. Miller announced a contract extension worth $56 million. If you missed that immediate reaction, you can still find it on the podcast today. Well, we'll hear from the principles of the negotiation. J.T. Miller is set to join us exclusively here on Canuck Central in moments. And also Patrick Alvine will be speaking to media in moments as well. We'll bring you some of that audio later in the show. Yeah, starting off Canuck Central with a bang. And you know, we did the emergency episode on Friday, as you mentioned, and Thanks everybody listening on the podcast over the weekend yep. and uh, great way to ease right back into Canuck Central this week. And, you know, you mentioned when I have uh, JT Miller on, he'll be on momentarily. And I'm really curious to get into a discussion with him, of course, after signing the big contract, but also getting into how they play as a team. You yes. know, let's dig a bit deeper about how they get better this upcoming season. A uh, lot to talk about uh, with uh, JT Miller in Vancouver for uh, a very long time after uh, re-signing with the club. Thanks for this, JT. Uh, how much of a relief is this uh, Is this getting done now? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, totally relief. I feel really good about it. You know, I'm glad that we could come to a common ground there. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to be there for, you know, which very well awake, uh, well could be the rest of my career. And uh, congratulations on the on the new addition to the family. Uh, how's, how's Owen incorporating in? Oh, thank you. He's, he's awesome. You know, I never really thought I was going to have a boy. I was getting outnumbered here at the house. <laughs> um, everybody asked me if I'm getting any sleep, and it's not because of him. It's my heathen four and three year old right now. They're <laughs> the wall. So everybody's good. Oh, so, so what was that like, just emotionally? I mean, I, I know you mentioned in the Zoom about uh, how you and your family are so proud about getting this deal done, welcoming uh, you know a son into this world as well. But what has kind of this this emotional ride been these past few weeks going through all this? Uh, you know, I, to be honest, I don't think I've even sat back and thought about it yet. You know, I'm gonna I'm going to Vancouver this weekend. I'm going to have, you know, it sucks being away from family for that long, but, you know, sometimes that happens, and I'm going to have some time to really indulge in it and think about it. But, you know, I just feel super lucky and super, um, you know, humbled by this whole thing. You know, I, my family and I have worked very hard to get to where we are, you know, as a family and professionally, and I'm just glad it's coming together and, you know, just kind of motivates me even more and keeps me pushing. So it's been three years in, in Vancouver for you, JT, with this Canucks team, and your your career is really, you know, you've evolved as a player in the three years. Uh, has it been the opportunity? Has it been maturity? Has it been all of the above that's really allowed you to get to this point? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I try to show up with a not satisfied attitude as many days as I can, really push myself with my competitive edge and, um you know, definitely room for improvement in all areas. I think you can always get a little bit better, but, you know, I think maturity and, you know, a big opportunity and, you know, I've said plenty of times, but, you know, understanding your game and being familiar with it and, you know, understanding what makes you play well and just try to stick with that as much as possible. I think that'll help out. Well, you know, I know, I know you mentioned that mindset thing, you know, for, for us on the outside looking in, can you kind of walk us through what you mean by having the right mind, mindset? Is it as simple as I know exactly what I have to do every single shift? I know exactly how I have to prepare myself. Is it that simple or is it, is there more to having that right mindset before a game? Yeah. I mean, I, there's so many talented players uh, like at the NHL level and even, le- you know, levels, you know, under that, like everybody can play the game. I feel like it's whether they can do it and be mentally tough and be in certain situations. And 
try to put your stubbornness aside. There's many things that go to it, but you have to have a mind for the game to excel. Um, you know, there's so many players that are talented, you know, to the highest level, you know, when it comes to, you know, given abilities. But at the same time, it's very hard to be able to understand when in a good time and place for what circumstance or scenarios on the ice. So I think that that's just, you know, being mentally tough is something I'm working on all the time and something I've come a long way with in my career, you know, going back to juniors and even before that. So I just think that it's, you know, there's so many people that are capable out there of playing, but I think it's the people that are, you know, have the brain for it or the ones that are a step ahead typically. Well, and one thing that you mentioned during your Zoom availability too was that you want to be amongst the best two-way centers in the league. And as much as, you know, you're going to be 30 in a year, you spent a lot of time in the NHL now, this was your first full year in a long time playing center. And especially at this high level, the role that you had, how much did you learn from getting back and playing the middle? And how confident are you to apply those things you saw this year to in order to take that step to become one of those elite two-way centermen? Yeah, I'm very confident. You know, it's a matter of just being like consistent and actually doing it. You know, got to got to execute. And um, you know, I'm really pushing myself. I, I just have so much respect for. You know, I, I mean, a lot of players in the league, but you know, those certain you know those one or two percent of centers that could you know produce at a high level and you know play in all situations and are just and just as annoying to play against in both ends. You know, I. I think I'm striving to be that type of player. And I think I have a little more to give on the defensive side, just on a sense of maybe being a little more consistent and in, in finishing the play in that end. And, you know, I, you know, I, I'm pushing myself to, to make that step. And I, I'm, I'm not really worried so much about, you know, my age, you know, I'm confident that I could bring this level and uh, for many years to come. And, you know, I'm excited to do it again this year, hopefully. Do you have an idea on, on what it will take for you to maintain that high level through the contract? Uh, no, not yet. You know, I'm not 30, uh, 35, 36 years old and, you know, a lot of games in, but at the, you know, there's got to be some mental aspect to that as well, right? Like there's got to be, you know, if you're satisfied and you get comfortable at that age, it's very easy to do. You know, you've had a long career most likely and, you know, time will tell, but at the same time, I want to be able to play the entire thing and I want to play it at a good level. I mean, there's going to be a time where I'm assuming all players have to go through that decision of, you know, when it's time, it's time. But at the same time, like uh, I'm, I'm going to worry about the future and the immediate future, and that's this year, and we're going to go from there. Like, I'm not worried about, you know, the end of the contract by any means. I think I can play at a very high level for a long time, and I'm, you know, I'm excited to try to do that. You've been talking a lot today about still wanting to improve. What, where are those specifics that you think you can still improve your game? Um, no, we, we know we touched on the, you know, without the puck, mm-hmm. um, being hard to play against, but um, maybe even five on five, being a threat more often. Um, I think I could shoot the puck even more. Um, my shot totals have gone up since I've gone to Vancouver and I've scored more goals than ever. So there's probably something to that. And, uh, um, you know, just as a leader, I think that you can always improve there and, you know, get more guys to, you know, to grab onto the same rope and pull in the same direction. And, um, you know, I think that that's going to be something where if we can get our team to all buy into the same exact thing and not have that looming in the air is that there's guys on their own page, you know, teams that are close knit and have fun together and enjoy it on and off the ice are the teams that typically come out. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm just trying to push myself in those, you know, in those aspects and, you know, kind of go about my business. Well, and, you know, as far as that leadership stuff goes, I mean, I know you mentioned a few times and you're not wrong on the outside looking in most of the time people have the wrong impression of stuff and people have maybe had a certain impression of you as a player and, and you know, just in general in terms of how this team has gone the last few years. But one of the things that I heard just talking to people has been your impact on the room in terms of leadership. And even with last year, I know last year wasn't easy, especially early on, but some of the stuff was there were guys in a room, especially you that worked really hard, try to keep guys together. It wasn't an easy season, but how much does it mean? 
mean to you to be a leader in this group and be a guy that can drag them out of the ruts that we saw earlier last year, but also building on that and gaining confidence as time goes on? Yeah, it means a lot to me. I take a lot of pride in it. And, you know, I'm not perfect either. There's times where I say things that I immediately want them back. But like I said, it's a, I'm an emotional person. And, you know, my whole career I've had been on teams that have had really good hockey teams with unbelievable leadership. And I, I always looked up to those guys and, you know, was hoping one day to get to that level. And, you know, you know I've played with some great captains and, you know, Ryan Callahan, Ryan McDonough, Steve Stamkos prior, um, you know, prior to the Canucks. And I just learned so much from them. And, you know, I learned a lot from Bo too. We spent a lot of time together and, um, you know, Bo's not of a, as much of a rah-rah guy as I am, I guess. But, you know, at the same time, he brings so many great quali- qualities as a leader. And I'm just trying to be a sponge around guys like him. And, um, yeah, you know, I just play with a lot of passion and I just want that to be, you know, when the group's playing with a lot of passion, I think we win a lot of nights and I just try to bring that to the team. I know, uh, you mentioned it earlier when you were speaking with uh, the rest of the media about having a better start and how important that is for this year. Um, you know, were there lessons to take from, from how things unfolded at the start of last year? Was it just a slight lack of focus, mental toughness. How do you look back on last year and make sure some of those same mistakes don't happen again as a team? Yeah, I was asked recently about that as well. And I, a couple things here and there, and we were not even in the position we were in. So kind of a crazy thing. It wasn't all bad. It just seemed like we couldn't put uh, a game together and get a win. You know, our starts in games in particular need to be much better, uh, not just the sense of the start of the season, but we found ourselves in a hole and had so many good comebacks you know, but at the same time, that's never good if you happen to play catch up. It's a very exhausting game to play. So um, I think just really being more focused for the start of the game, not uh, dipping your toe in the water, like, you know, setting the tone and making sure the other, you want, I mean, you want the other team feeling how we felt a lot of nights, um, especially at home there. When we were on the road, it seemed like we were always ready to go and had good starts. But at home, I think we could do a better job of uh, tilting the ice a little earlier in the match. Well, and, you know, just in general, and I know a lot of people have asked about the defense. I know you talked about it being a five-man unit as a team. And I know at the end of the season, we heard from management and we heard from Boudreaux about, you know, how the team can get better in their breakouts. And, you know, a lot of that gets thrown onto the defense. But how much of that also comes down to having forwards that can become available outlets, having a system that, that allows those outlets to be prevalent to help you get better in transition? So how much of that stuff also just comes down to having forwards doing the right thing in order to improve defensively as a team? Yeah, no question. And I think that's what I was alluding to earlier. Was, um, you know, I, I don't think when we're playing well, our, our, our defense is a problem at all. Our, our team defense remotely is a problem. I, I really do believe in, you know, if we're playing the right way, we shouldn't be spending a whole lot of time in our own end anyway. So, I mean, if you're fresh out there and doing a lot of other good things around the ice, you won't have to put that much pressure on the defense or the goalie. And, you know, how many times last year we, you know, put a lot of pressure on Denver to make you know, 45 saves to win a hockey game, you know, it's going to be exhausting over the course of the season. So, um, yeah, I mean, like you said, I think it's just, a, it, it's more of a team defense than it really comes down to defensemen. And I think we have the guys to do it back there. Um, you know, we all have total confidence in them. And I just think that when we're, when we're on our game, everybody looks better. Like I said earlier, and, you know, we're just hoping to get off to a better start. Like you asked in the last question. Is that, is that part of what you like about playing uh, through the middle? You, you get to come, come down low in your own end and, and help with those breakouts at times. Yeah, I like. I really like having. You know, I like having the puck in my own end as much as I do in the offensive zone. I, I take a lot of pride in that. Um, clearly, a talkative guy. I think me and the D. You know, I'm pretty much really good friends with all the D on the team. We have a very good relationship, and you know, we have, we talk a lot about certain breakouts and faceoff plays and and stuff like that. And I just think we it's a good fit back there. Um, when I'm down low, I, I'm obviously 
once I have the fastest guy in the league. So I like to be a little lower and slower and, you know, distribute pucks as, you know, as a pass first mentality guy. So I think it fits my game really well. And obviously take a lot of pride in the face off circle too, which I feel pretty, pretty confident in. So I, uh, I just think it fits my game, um, you know, playing center. One of the, one of the things you mentioned in, in the availability was the additions of Mikheyev and Curtis Lazar, and this is not you know I'm not trying to say anything to the guys that were here before, but just in terms of they really bring something your team needs, right? I mean Mikheyev with his speed, his size, he can play on the PK. Lazar, right-handed centerman, he's also physical. How much can those guys help the forward group over, overall because of those specific roles and attributes they can bring to the team? Yeah, I mean they're they're guys that are hard to play against, and I think that's the biggest compliment you could play a player is you know you. Can, you know, when you talk about guys that are you are so annoying to play against, like those are the, like those are the guys that get the highest compliment in my opinion. So I mean, both guys are, you know, Lazar's been around for I feel like a while now, and he you know understands his game and he's going to play a very physical brand of hockey for us, and you know, going to be good on the PK and same with Mikheyev, you know, with his speed and and skill and you know what he kind of he you know, kind of brings a little bit of everything to the table, which is great fit for us. And uh, you know, we want to play a fast up tempo game and clearly need. You know, I think we're, our PK was doing better things at the end of the year last year, but, you know, if any help we can get right now is obviously amazing. Those two are going to be a big part of that. So, I'm, uh, you know, it, it, it's just they're, they're, they're helping all needs that for us right now, and it just makes our team have that much more depth. So I think that's what's really exciting about it. AJT, hey, safe travels uh, up to Vancouver. Congratulations again on the new deal and, of course, uh, the new addition to the family. I promise you on this show we won't be trading you to Pittsburgh anymore anytime soon. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, JT. There's uh, JT Miller, who's uh, just as relieved to have uh, speculation over his future be over with as we are, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I said this on air when I jumped on on Friday, and we both jumped on on Friday. Um, took a break from vacation. I was happy just because it's <laughs> some resolution finally. You know, believe it or not, I, I was tired of talking about JT Miller and what's going to happen with him day in and day out. And, and you know, it's funny because people responded as like, well, you guys, you, you guys were you were driving all the discussion, and the point I tried to make last week too, and it's like, yeah, sure, we we drove the discussion, we talked a lot about it, but it was the most consumed topic, and the most demand of any topic we've had since the station started, essentially. Yeah, like no joke, like we we just post something regular, you know, yeah. an hour, and it would be a headline JT Miller update. It would get five or six times as yeah. many listens as anything else would. The reaction would be great. So basically. You, you get what you ask for. And people yes. were demanding JT Miller coverage, but I was sick and tired of it. So I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad it's done. At, at the end of the day, um, yes, we decide what topics end up on the show, but obviously it is um, decided by you because you are the ones that uh, want to consume whatever it is that's going on with the Canucks. And the JT Miller subject was on the top of mind for all Canucks fans. I couldn't go anywhere in this city without somebody asking me about JT Miller. I go for a, a, a walk and a spro with my wife. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm at the bar having my coffee, and, and, and I'm getting asked about JT Miller. I go to a party, yeah. uh, and, and it's, hey, what's, what's, what's going to happen with JT? You know, it's just anywhere I went in this city, it was the talk amongst Canucks fans. And now... It's over. It's in the rearview mirror. He is going to be a Vancouver Canuck for a very long time. Eight more years he is yes. under contract because he has this year remaining at five and a quarter, and then the new contract kicks in at seven years, $56 million for JT. And a big part of the conversation is how is he going to maintain success through that contract? And yeah. 
you know, we talked a little bit about that with him. There's two things he touched on. And it's not about points, but he wants to be better defensively. And he talked about wanting to be better scoring at five on five. Because he can be extremely prolific when it comes to his power play scoring. But how can he have a little bit of a tick up at five on five as well? And I think a lot of that comes from being better defensively. Yeah. Because if you're better defensively, you can create better chances in transition. And, you know, when we talked so much about Pedersen's first first year and the second year with Miller together and Miller's defensive numbers were incredible, what that line did so well outside of just being, you know, deadly offensively when they had the puck was they were so good defensively. Yeah. They would create turnovers, they win battles, and they transition the puck up the ice really quickly. And they would just, you know, crush teams every time they were out there. That's what you need to kind of get back to. And if JT gets back to doing that and he gets better at doing that, which he can, because again, like we talked about, first year getting back and playing center, he's very aware of the areas in his game that have to improve. And if he does play better, and he's shown an ability when he's on the wing to be a big time impactful two-way player. So if he's able to bring that, then that goes hand in hand with being better offensively. Because he is right. The Canucks at even strength did not create enough opportunities last year. We talked about that a lot. Even when Boudreaux took over, it got better. The chances were a bit higher, but the Canucks went from being bottom in the league to being average in chance creation. They weren't yeah. great in chance creation, so there's still more to do. And to me, if you want to be great creating chances, a lot of that also comes down to being good defensively. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of the um, fallout, and hey, uh, yes, as people pointed out to me on Friday, I did have a negative <laughs> take, uh, mostly on the big picture of the organization. But when it comes to JT specifically and evaluating him as a player, I feel like some of the rhetoric coming out of you know those or a lot of people assessing the contract has been, well, he, he gets all of his points on the power play. And, and to a certain extent, yes, he is a prolific power play producer and it accounted for a ton of his points last season. But that sort of overlooks the fact that even still in the Boudreaux era, he had 46, 47 points at five on five, and that was top 30 in the league. So like, you know, he's still scoring at a very prolific rate, even at five on five, but the power play is where he really does a lot of damage. I'm curious as to how this plays out when it comes to his defensive play. And as a team, they have to be better, and that's what he's chosen to focus on, not about the individual defenders yeah. themselves, but if we're going to be better defensively, it's going to have to be a team effort to be better defensively. And I think you know part of the reason the Canucks were better with their breakouts once JT moved to center officially, he, he spoke about it, and he's talked about it a ton. He loves being a part of that breakout and helping the team get out of their own end. Yeah, and the Canucks haven't had good enough wingers that do that as well. And that's why I really like the Mikheyev signing as far as the type of player he is and how he helps the team in that regard. And if you're able, like, that's why defensively, they can be better this year than they were last year. Does that mean they're going to be a great defensive team? Probably not. You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't show I don't think they have the decor to be a great defensive team yeah but can you be average and being average is all you need if you get great goaltending Mm -hmm. if you have a great offense you have good special teams you don't have to have a great defense you can still be a playoff team you can still do do damage maybe win a playoff round or something but obviously if you want to take that next step and evolve 
the defense is going to have to improve. I mean, everybody knows that and understands it. The discussion just sometimes becomes too extreme on they're fine, they're good, and versus, you know, they're horrible. And it's kind of in the middle here a little bit. But I do think, to his point, the five-man game is going to be a big part of their team identity this season. The Mike Yo hire, a lot of it is he's going to take care of a lot of structural stuff, a lot of the system stuff. And I think as the season starts and we get into training camp, it'll be on him a lot of that, whereas Boudreaux will take more of a CEO, CEO approach in that stuff, I think. And a lot of that's the stuff they're going to emphasize is their breakouts, how they get out of their own zone, how forwards are available. And I think now having a center like Lazar who can help in that regard, you have Mikheyev who helps in that. Petter, yeah. uh, you know, Pedersen's good in that. Horvat can get back. And obviously Miller, he starts improving in that regard too. They can improve defensively this year despite not getting better defensemen this season. But does that put him into a contender level, cup contender level? Probably asking too much. It, it, it is a lot. Um, and that's ultimately where the big picture conversation always falls is, yes, JT's a great player. Yes, you're you're okay with this contract on, to some level. But you know, is the team ready for this? Is the team properly constructed to really maximize this contract and the other ones that are currently on the books or did it need a bit of a restructuring? It all felt like the new management group was heading towards a little bit of a restructuring, but that has not yet happened. So what are the things they can change on the ice to potentially change some of their results on the ice? That's something we're definitely going to get into more over the course of the week and over the course of this program. But a quick thought is, well, if they're faster with guys like Mikheyev, and they are better on the forecheck, maybe it is just as simple as they hope to be spending less time in their own end. And it's a big ask for the talent that's currently on this roster, but there can be a few tweaks. And we have seen other teams in the league do this. The Calgary Flames are a perfect example of maybe a ton of personnel changes don't need to be made. It's just how we change our play with this coach, Daryl Sutter, and maybe there is an element of that here for the Vancouver Canucks. I don't know if they'll ever get to what Calgary was last year in terms of being one of the better teams in the league all around, but there is still room for improvement if they're able to execute on some of these changes. Yeah, well, and and if I look at the team, there's two different conversations. There's a conversation about becoming a Stanley Cup contender, and there's a conversation about becoming a playoff team that's establishing itself. And as much as people talk about this team, you know, because now they've made Miller signing, they have to start winning. And I agree, they have to be a playoff team this upcoming season. But they can't go from being a team that missed the playoffs to becoming a cup contender right away. There's going to have to be, uh, you know, realistically, it's going to take a little bit of time before he gets there, before you get there as a team. So this upcoming season to me is how do you just get better with what you have? Yeah. And then next year, it really becomes where as the season goes on, making those personnel changes to put your team over the top. And the forwards with this team are capable of being better defensively, especially with Miller, but also with Elias Patterson. I think he's the other guy here. If Elias Patterson can play the way he did in the second half of the year as a two-way player, Miller gets better as a two-way player, you add Mikheyev, and on the wings you're a bit better. Lazar now stabilizes the center roll down, down the middle on your fourth line. That stability in general can allow this team to be a playoff team maybe. you know. And again, I don't think that puts you to be good enough to win, win a Stanley Cup this upcoming season, but I think it can get you good enough to be a mid-to-high 90-point team. And if you are that, that's a big step forward. 
And then you can start trying to make those additions and make the moves you need to get that difference-making defenseman. Playoffs has to be the bar with the way the roster is and how this team is still capped out and hasn't been able to acquire much on the futures front, as was one of their previously stated goals as a front office when coming in and taking over from Jim Benning. But it isn't as though it's going to be an easy pathway there, you know, the LA Kings, young, still good, and maybe getting better as their young players grow. Calgary's done so much to minimize the loss of Kachuk and Gaudreau that you feel like maybe they're still going to be pretty damn good, right? And they do have a really strong decor already and still intact. But I don't know if Calgary's see, I I I think Calgary's a team that's, you know, heading into the season, you project as being above Vancouver. Yeah. But to me, they're they're not in the cup contending tier. They're not in the Avalanche tier. No, they're not in the I don't I don't know if anybody in the Western Conference. I think is they're the alone. Avalanche I think tier. Avalanche are alone and then it's then it's essentially Calgary, Edmonton, um and uh, like we still Lewis penciled, there. We've still penciled in Vegas as as a as a for sure playoff team. But you know what? I put Vegas in the, so so They've done nothing but retract from their team this offseason so i looked at this um a little bit and this is a i did a a very uh first first draft of tiering the um the western the western conference so i had so it's a rough draft rough draft rough draft and then we'll we'll change it as it goes on so i had colorado in a tier of its own yeah and then i had st louis Mm -hmm. edmonton Mm -hmm. calgary Mm mm-hmm and not Minnesota? Uh no, I put Minnesota one down. Okay. Because Minnesota, they're good. Yeah. Sure. But they lost Kevin Fiala. Yeah. They're not better as a team. Yeah. You're banking on younger guys getting better. And the other part about their team is they were so good last year, they're not strong down the middle. No. Their goaltending, they don't have two goalies now, they have one. Yeah. They're kind of capped out. So I don't think they did anything to get better. Mm-hmm. Minnesota did. So I actually put them down a little bit. So I think those are the four teams that you say are playoff teams. And then Vancouver falls in with the rest of those five. And, and I put Vegas in that category. And Nashville's in there. And that's where Vancouver finds itself. It's uh, it's going to be fascinating to, to really get into that and power rank the Western Conference as we get closer to the season. But the Canucks, betting on this team to win now, how good of a bet is it going to be? We'll hear Patrick Alvin's take on getting Miller locked up to this deal and what it means for how he envisions the future of this Canucks squad as he just finished talking with the media. We'll hear that next on Canucks Central. Canucks Central, Dan Richo, and Satyar Shah. We're officially back. So maybe if you unsubscribed through the summer... Make sure you hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. That way you never miss an edition of Canucks Central. We are back daily here to fill up all of your Canucks needs on your favorite podcast platform. All right. We spoke with JT Miller exclusively here on the show. Patrick Alvine was speaking with media at the same time. So let's hear what the Canucks general manager had to say about signing JT to this contract and what he hopes to bring to this club in the future. Well, obviously, uh, it's been uh, um, a lot of discussions, a lot of talks here uh, among our, um, my staff and, and uh, JT's camp there. So, um, obviously, it was, it was good to get it done here before uh, camp starting. 
what turned because it seemed like your organization had a number it wasn't going to cross and then maybe went a little bit above that what changed in terms of your mindset well, I think it's important uh, when you when you're doing a deal like this uh, long term uh, you know we we took our time and and uh, looked at the roster um, cap situation uh, moving forward obviously is important uh, and then uh, uh, we looked at the options what's out there in terms of uh, players being available uh, potentially for next summer and uh, as I said all all the way along here uh, JT was our best player last year and uh, uh, he's a super competitive player uh, and we f- we were really happy to to um, get the uh, contract extension here um, done. Where does this leave you room for Bo Horvath? Because he's next, we would assume. Yeah, uh, Bo is our captain. Uh, we uh, respect and we like Bo, and uh, um, we're communicating with, with his camp, and um, we'll see if there is a deal to be made there. Are you going to have to make moves to make room for him, and is he somebody that you want to have long-term like JT? Well, uh, we don't have to make moves uh, coming into this season in order to uh, to uh, get Bo signed here. But uh, uh, moving forward, uh, we need to uh, uh, be aware of the cap situation and uh, potentially um, uh, some roster decisions uh, coming into next summer. JT talked this morning about the peace of mind that getting this deal does for him. As it pertains to Bo, like how much of a believer are you that these can be a distraction to a player over the course of a season? Yeah, I mean uh, that's um, that's a reality. I guess uh, you know you still have a year left of your of your contract, and uh, uh, for players, I obviously think that they 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 look at the salary cap and and where the teams are, and um, I think. You know, they're being professional, but the same hand, I think they, they want to have security as well. You've talked several times about uh, JT being the best player on this team last year. What Can you describe what he brings to this group and what what it is that you can find out on the open market? Well, uh, I think there is a um, always a, seems to be a competition or a shortage of uh, sentiments when you're coming into the open market. Um, in terms of JT, I think over a period of time here, I think he has matured. He has found his game, um, super competitive. Um, I think he could di- dictate an outcome of every single game that we played last year um, just based on his performance. Uh, I still think we could, uh, uh, or we need to manage his highest time uh, better. I think uh, uh, the second half there, um, I think his, his minutes was a little bit too high. Uh, I think he uh, has a potential to be even better here. Uh, coming down a little bit, I think he played about 24 minutes, and you know uh, that's, that's really hard when you're a center there. So if we can help him and, and spread out the ice time a little bit better, I think he will help this team uh, even more. How much can re-signing you making him such a priority as a reflection of your what you see as his importance to the leadership group of this team? Yeah, uh, good question. I, I think that's something we, we talked about among my staff here, uh, the coaches, uh, where we are today and uh, where we need to be in terms of uh, uh, making the next step here and, and having someone like JT showing the way for the younger players, I think it's important. The rise in the salary cap coming in a couple of seasons, how much did that play into calculating what you could afford to pay him? Yeah, it definitely calculated a uh, big part of it. But also, um, 
that the salary cap is going to take a couple of years uh, to get going here. So I think it was important for us to to look at all our options and, and uh, uh, see what the best move was here. Did you back time the, the no trade clause to include this season? Because I understand that's an option. Uh, it is an option. We didn't do that, uh, but I mean, uh, when doing a deal like this, is uh, you know we're uh, the plan is for JT to stay here um, this year and seven more. Quickie on load. Are you optimistic about before training camp getting a deal or before start of season? Well, we still uh, continue to talk here, and as I said, we have a lot of respect for Bo, and Bo is our captain here, and uh, he's been a good player uh, for for his stint here in, in Vancouver, so uh, hopefully we can figure something out here. Can you compare the state of those negotiations to maybe where you were at with JT a little while ago, or is it closer, farther apart, you optimistic? Um, I wouldn't comment anything um, comparable with those two, but um, I, I think every... Uh, uh, every uh, Single player is different how you approach it and, and um, how the path is. Patrick, you've added a few pieces here and there, but the core has remained intact from what we've seen in the last few years. Is this a vote of confidence in this core group, and this is the core that you want to have moving forward? Well, I think uh, depending on uh, who, you, who the players are that, that you're putting in the core, but uh, obviously... <laughs> well, I, I think you have a... a Tremendous goalie in uh, Demko, and then you have uh, Quinn Hughes on the back end. You got uh, Pedersen and, and Miller and Horvat, and you know um, I think there's uh, as good of a players uh, or uh, players in, in the in the league uh, in this age where you believe that they're going to be able to take a next step uh, in order for us to get better. A lot of people were expecting a bigger roster shakeup this summer. Was it more difficult to make trades than perhaps you anticipated uh, because of the flat cap or anything else? I think you could say that and looking around the league, and uh, but also uh, you know the cost of uh, getting rid of contracts as well, uh, and uh, just uh, the hard part where where we have uh, uh, players signed beyond a year, it makes it harder to to make those moves. You talk about um, bringing Miller's ice time down this season. Does that mean that you're looking at putting Patterson into the middle, or is it too early to uh, make a comment on that? Well, I think that's something we are uh, discussing with uh, Bruce and his uh, coaching staff here. Uh, by adding those extra forwards, I think uh, they give uh, the coaching staff a lot of options. Uh, and I think we're a deeper team, um, want to create more internal competition. So... Uh, definitely we have more players that can play different positions. Patrick, two weeks out from training camp, is there clarity on Tucker Fullman at this point and his health and ability? And yeah, all the indication that I have uh, from our medical staff uh, is that Tucker is doing really well. Um, uh, as of now, uh, I anticipate him to uh, be on the ice on day one on training camp here. Do you expect to enter the season with essentially the defense group that you have right now? I guess you never know. Uh, we're still looking at all our options, and uh, uh, I'm happy with the, with the with the defense group we have. I think uh, when everybody's healthy, I think we're uh, a, a very uh, competitive team. JT spoke about having a lot of confidence in the upper management group, yourself and Jim, with the past that you guys have winning cups. I guess looking at the investment that you just made in JT Miller, how much is this Canucks team now moving into like a win-now mode, or do you think there's a lot of work to do to get to that point? 
Well, I think um, to, there is a lot of work. Um, I don't think you just uh, go from being a non-playoff team to be a Stanley Cup winner. I think this is a process over time that uh, I think in today's game you want to be our goal is to be a, a very competitive competitive team over time and and by being that we need to make a big step this year and and uh, and I believe that the players are uh, prepared and their mindset is that uh, they're ready to come in here for day one training camp can you compare the current blue line to maybe some of the blue lines you had success with in Pittsburgh because I know that the feeling is that you know they had Latang and then you know, some, some players that were kind of in the middle of the pack. Do you see things the same way? Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it's hard to compare from team to teams, but, but when in Pittsburgh you had uh, a lot of good forwards, so um, in order for, for the team to be successful, they, you, you want to get the puck up ice quickly. And I think here, uh, by adding the forwards we did this summer, I think we are a deeper team, we have more options, and, and if we can have... Um, the puck coming up or our own end quicker and, and spend more time in, in the uh, offensive zone, I think we will be a better team. You know, JT noted that talks really heated up last weekend. Was there a change in thinking at the, at the organizational level about the urgency of getting the deal done now? I wouldn't say an urgency. I think, uh, as I said before, like every discussions have their own path and uh, and again, uh, a deal like this, it takes time. Uh, you want to look uh, and make sure you have, uh, um, you know, um, all the all the options uh, for this year and moving forward uh, when you're committing to uh, uh, a seven-year uh, contract extension like this. And you noted that it was difficult to move money uh, this summer. Um, you've made a fair few long-term commitments to, to forwards over the course of this summer. Uh, how much did you weight uh, sort of the difficulty of moving future cap space in deciding to upgrade this roster for the short term? Yeah, I, I think we that's that's where we took our time to uh, make sure our options, uh, where, where the options were around the league. And uh, and, and as I said, I, I think it's important for us to just not be good here this season. Uh, we want to make sure we have a competitive team over time here. Our first um, formal Canucks event this year will be the Young Stars in Penticton next week. Is there um, anybody that you can pinpoint that we should be watching for especially? Well, I'm excited to watch those players as well. And, and uh, it's been tough for them uh, not uh, having the opportunity to uh, showcase themselves here in the last couple of years. But I do think we have some, some young players coming in here and, and are eager to show uh, the coaching staff and the management that they're ready to fight for uh, for. Uh, games uh, the upcoming year. We haven't talked about him too much, but adding Jeremy Collinson, what was the focus there? What was stood out about him as being the guy that you wanted to put down? Well, I think I personally, I watched um, Jeremy um, since he started his coaching career in Sweden, but uh, in general I think it's important for us to bring in uh, quality people here uh, in every position. Um, and when we had the opportunity to get a you know, a guy that's still young, that had experience of coaching in the NHL as a head coach, um, can teach and, and work with our younger players. I think it's important. It looks like your team in Abbotsford is going to be a little bit younger this year than perhaps it was in its inaugural season. Uh, did that make Jeremy a more attractive fit for 
from your perspective? Yeah, I think it, it's important for us to uh, continue to push and educate the younger players. And uh, I've said it uh, many times, it's it's not a sprint for them to get one game uh, it's it's on our staff, the coaching staff in Abbotsford, and our development staff to 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 educate them and and uh, prepare them for being uh, full-time NHL players. So that might be, you know, some of them might need a year, some of them might need three years, uh, but it's it's just to stay uh, the path and stay focused and work with them. And in terms of going younger in Abbotsford, was there an organizational decision that you wanted it to be perhaps more of a learning environment um, under your watch? I think it was important for us to uh, add some some younger prospects, and by doing that, I think it's it's also important to have uh, older uh, veteran leadership done in the American League to kind of show them the young players uh, what it takes to become an NHL player. Uh, just the day-to-day stuff and the grind and the mental part of of being a full-time NHL player. And on, last on one on GT for me anyway is. Uh these long-term deals, eight-year deals for a player who's going to be 30 in the first year, we know that the front end of the deal tends to be a little bit more economical from a team's perspective than the back end. What was it about where this team's position today that made this the right move for your club in your well, I think uh, first uh, credit to the uh, the ownership here that, that made the commitment and the um, sacrifice here to, to make this deal um, Come along, uh, uh, as you said. I think we, we, you know, looking around the league, what it takes to get uh, players that would, with, with uh, JT's uh, dignity and and uh, contract like this. Um, uh, you obviously have to work with it with the player side to to uh, get it structured so it works for both sides. There, there is uh, General Manager Patrick Alvine speaking with the media. After signing J.T. Miller to a seven-year extension worth fifty-six million dollars, and uh, Patrick uh, continues to say some things, but not very much. Keeps his cards close to the vest. The new yeah. Canucks GM. I mean, and it's funny because I see people's uh, reaction on social media and also on our text inbox to um, how Alvine is approaching things or how yeah. he answers questions. Torgi. The text inbox says, not much of an optimistic vibe coming from Patty with Bo from Torgi. I saw others mentioning how... We would have uh, said that about JT as well. Exactly. A few and months it, ago. Exactly. And one thing that uh, I also saw was, well, he's talking about how he likes the defense and all that sort of stuff. I was like, well, he's not coming out and say, yeah, our defense is trash. Yeah. You're not going to be like, you're not going to crap on your team and you're going to be political. And to your point... Anytime they talked about JT, they didn't sound too optimistic. You yeah. know, they, they expressed they want to keep him, they like him, but they were very realistic about it. it's not going to be easy, we have to be mindful, yada, yada, yada. It didn't sound like a rousing endorsement of something's going to get done pretty quickly. So I would pump the brakes on reading too much into it. Um, I did think it was interesting, though, um, what he's alluding to. And the thing that stuck out to me the With most... With Bo Horvat. No, we'll get to the Bo stuff on the other okay. side too more. But yeah, on the Bo stuff, there's a few things. But as far as decisions, he said, it's tough tough to trade players who have more than one year on their contract. Right. What happens next season? Uh, a year passes. And yes, some of those good. contracts <laughs> that have two years remaining will then have one year remaining. And the two players that everybody's going to circle when we say that are Tanner Pearson and Tyler Myers. And that's, you know... Nine, nine and a million. quarter, yeah. nine, nine and a quarter million for though. Now, can you get all that money off? Who knows? But the point being, 
all of a sudden, it becomes easier to, to reallocate their salaries potentially and other players that who have a year coming off of it next year than it is this year. So you're not going to come out and say our defense is trash. You're going to be like, yeah, it's fine. We're okay. But the truth is, it's going to take some time to be able to do that. Now, one thing Rutherford also mentioned before was they might address the defense in season, depending on what comes up and trades may present themselves. But more realistically, some of the bigger work may have to come next offseason when it's a bit easier. Because the team wasn't at its point this year, Dan, where they should be giving up assets to move a Myers or a Pearson or anybody else. They should be at a point where maybe you get something in return from those guys. And that's why waiting it out one year is what's important in that regard. But that whole idea of when you hear them say next season, next season, it's not just kicking that can down the road. Like I think there's an actual plan in place about these are the guys we have. This is kind of where the they may become more valuable or more easy to trade potentially. And this is where we're going to be able to do certain things. So I think it's part of their plan, not just wishful thinking. And I think the logic does add up. But what they've done now is because they have to some degree put the cart ahead of the horse in terms of spending the cap space before clearing the cap space. It just makes it even more pressing that they have to address that cap space at some point by next summer. So, you know, we've kind of looked at this and and I've been uh, part of it as well. Like, hey, why why are they locking into the same team, essentially, that they took over? Outside of the few additions that they've made, Lazar and, you know, Mikheyev and Kuzmenko, they've just re-upped, doubled down even, on Besser now on Miller, they haven't been able to move anybody out. But have they lost any flexibility in potentially making those moves at a later date? That's maybe one question that I would have coming out of this. He also mentioned who's the core. Well, it's Bo, it's JT, Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko. Those five Yeah, he referenced as the core of the roster that he can, he thinks can do really good things. Are they as locked into this roster as, as it feels after the way this off season played out? No. And I mean, I, I, I even though they signed JT Miller, I don't think, a t- I don't think a ton has really changed. You know what I mean? Because th- this entire time, I, I've been pretty adamant that I think the priority was to keep JT. Yes. And as much as we, were, we weren't sure where, where it was going to go, I remember mentioning a couple months ago that once it got through uh, the draft, I'm like, you know, it's, if I had to choose, I'm choosing JT Miller staying and signing an extension, just how things are going. So I don't think it's really changed in terms of mm-hmm. what the reality is. It goes back to a very simple, logical mind frame I think this front office has, Dan. And I think it's a real basic assessment of valuation. It's more valuable keeping this guy than trading this guy right now. Yeah. Maybe that equation changes in two months. Maybe that equation changes in three months. P- case in point, Brock Besser. I'm not saying they're going to trade Brock Besser. I'm not saying they're putting him on the block. But it wasn't like they wanted to sign him more than they wanted to trade him. But signing him was the better avenue than trading him given the interest in a trade wasn't strong enough for you to forego the player. Yeah. So I think the assessment they've made all along is... It's just more valuable for us to hold on to this player today than to trade him because maybe that equation changes as time goes on. So getting around to the point, there's like three or four untouchables. Yeah. And I'm sure there's four, but there's like three or four guys and the rest, we'll see what happens. And uh, I know the eye emojis are going around on uh, on Canucks Twitter that uh, the Canucks uh, did not include trade protection for the year that is remaining on JT Miller's current contract. 
So, yes, his no-move clause does not kick in until the year following this upcoming season. Uh, That is a note that's somewhat interesting. Elliot Friedman mentioned on 32 Thoughts, JT Miller's camp asked for it, and the Canucks denied it. But that also doesn't mean, well, the Canucks are just going to trade JT Miller and before the trade deadline. Yes. You know? Like, don't, stop stop doing that. Right. I, I, you know, it's it's just, it's an interesting anecdote, but that's all it is at this point. Exactly. Now, in the next hour, we'll do, dig into the Horvath thing. We'll, yes. we'll, we'll get into exactly what Alvin said. We'll talk about the situation with Bo, because I, th- I think it deserves more than just like a quick comment. That's what we haven't gotten to yet. So those asking, yeah. we'll talk about what are the range of possibilities here mm-hmm. for a guy like Bo Horvath. But one thing that Alvin mentioned was, Miller has a potential to be even better, but we have to limit his minutes a bit. Yeah. My question is, and we'll talk about it with everything else, how do you limit his minutes if you are indeed trading Bull Horvat? Yeah. Just just a simple question. Based on what he said, if you want to limit the minutes to JT Miller, how do you do that by trading one of your centermen? Doesn't mean you can't do it. Yeah. It's just hard. <laughs> we can talk about that. Though. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, layers that we can get into coming up here, including uh, how this all impacts Bo and what the uh, general manager had to say about the new big contract negotiation on the table. That with his captain. We'll get into all of that. Hour number two of Canuck Central is up next.